16 minutes it is before 9pm. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk with me, Ayabonga Tawe. And uh, we move swiftly along and under the microscope this evening, we're going to take a look at uh, some of the outcomes in the world of education. But before we do that, uh, some of the tweets that are coming through, Ta and Wababa saying, pertaining to over-consultation by the president uh, in response to the question that I earlier asked about uh, whether or not the president consults too much. And uh, Tando's asking here, what uh, does consulting too much mean? How do we measure that this one is inadequate and that one is too much? I guess uh, damned if you do and damned if you don't. Monwabisi Olifir saying uh, the tender system is currently a dirty business practice and uh, also a get-rich-quick process. If we can't uh, scrap it off imme- uh, completely, which is the best mechanism to be used to properly monitor the tender system? Now, um, Zingi Samase uh, on Twitter also saying it's going to be hard to achieve unity and this in response to the chat we just had with NAFCOC. It's going to be hard to achieve unity in black business when our government itself is failing small businesses. Black people in procurement processes take forever to pay checks to small businesses. It's things like that that kill small black-owned businesses. Mantle and Kors is saying, Lamakesha are wasting our time. Thank you for quoting Professor Pichana. And uh, yeah, I think it was Pani Pichana who actually said, Black man, you're on your own. Wakota. But that's a story for another day. But thank you so much for uh, some of the tweets that are coming through there. And uh, many of you, uh, I guess, uh, uh, putting your finger on uh, some of the challenges that we have here uh, as uh, black uh, businesses. And more importantly, I guess, as it comes to procurement, uh, Zingis are there saying, some of uh, you that are sitting in supply chain offices, Let's move along uh, swiftly and under the microscope this evening. I'm already joined on the line by uh, Professor Mguni from the University of uh, South Africa. And we're taking a look at uh, some of uh, the uh, educational outcomes that have come through over the last few days or so. The National Aggregate Matric pass rate uh, breaching that 80% mark. What should we read into that? Under the Microscope on Metro FM Talk. Professor Mguni, good evening to you and welcome to Metro FM Talk. Good evening, Ayabonga. Thank you so much for joining us, Prof. Prof, I want to maybe start off with the question I just posed there. What should we make of some of these results? I think it's all good and well that uh, many of us uh, are certainly happy about the improvements that we've seen in many of our provinces, in particular uh, the rural provinces of uh, Mpumakolon in the Eastern Cape, Limpopo, and many others uh, who have certainly seen an improvement in the outcomes in many of the districts and in many of the schools. But uh, what does this all, of, all of this mean? Um, I have almost been thinking about this question, um, and I think there's um, a need to, to actually rethink what we mean by uh, the metric pass rate. Um, I don't know whether the, the term pass is actually correct, because uh, Prof. Mare, for instance, at UP has said we should not use the term fail, and, and it follows then that maybe the term pass also is problematic. And here is the thing. When you look at the metric result, any certificate that one of the grade 12 uh, learners would receive um, would not say pass or fail. What it does say is that you've met the minimum requirements uh, for a particular qualification at university mm. or tertiary education. So when we say the pass rate is 81%, what that actually means is that 81% of the learners who are doing matric do qualify for one or the other tertiary qualification. Mm. Now, 
we then say, what is the national objective in as far as uh, learners going to tertiary education, then we, we, we then start to split the hairs. For instance, we say 37% qualify for a bachelor's degree. And, and that, that changes then the dynamic because we are no longer saying how many passed or failed, but we are just saying of the 100 that wrote, only 37 can qualify mm. for a bachelor's degree. But also, that does not mean they will be admitted to, to the bachelor's degree. It says they qualify for the minimum requirements. Then they would have to go to the different institutions and then say, which one of your qualifications do I qualify for? And that changes again, because you then think and say, 180,000 of these learners do qualify for a minimum bachelor's degree. But we've got 26 universities, and they can only take so many learners. And then, therefore, the number drops of the learners who can then go to tertiary uh, mm. institutions. And then what we, therefore, we need to start thinking is, what does it actually mean to be in grade 12? Uh, before we even say, do you qualify for tertiary and mm. so on, what, what does it actually mean? Will you be able to participate in the economy, for, for, for example? Will you be able to, you know, pursue studies as a scientist or whatever the case may be? And I think that then changes and, the and, and maybe And maybe that's my next question here, Prof, because one would think that, you know, a senior certificate is a certain signal. It's a signal to somebody who is sitting in an enrollment office in a university or somebody uh, who is sitting in an employment office or, or, you know, your next employer to say, look, you have met certain conditions, which means you have a certain understanding of certain content that allows you to be able to get the senior certificate. But one would argue that it's there seemingly is broken chains here in some of the signals because if you speak to any of the university administrators, they would come back and say a lot of bridging and a lot of wraparound support is needed to make sure that many of these students are successful um, in their university or tertiary studies. Um, and even for many employers who come out and say, you know, with a matric, uh, there's so much on-the-job training that I need to do to make sure that uh, 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 that particular employee is able to add value to my business. Are our signaling mechanisms adequate enough and are they relevant? I don't... Uh <laughs> I don't think fully. Um, I recall, I think it was last year, uh, President Ramaphosa had an economic endeavor or something mm. of that sort. And I think we would need an education endeavor. And this is why I say that. When students come to university, and, and I'm one of the lecturers and my colleagues would agree with me, you find a learner, say, got 60, 80% in physical sciences in metric. Mm. Then they come to university and the first year is essentially trying to bridge whatever they did in high school with what you're going to do at university. And then we find a lot of gaps. We realize that these students may have gotten these marks, but they don't seem to understand the content that they need to understand. But also, they don't seem to have, at times, not always, at times they don't seem to have the cognitive skills required for them to be successful at tertiary level. Mm. And as a consequence, you see a lot of dropouts uh, in the first year and at times in, in, in the second year. But sadly, when these learners then qualify post-university, the, uh, the, the, the employers will say, you did not train them adequately for them to do the job that we employed in, employing them for. So what you see then is that between high school, basic education, tertiary education, and the economic needs of the country, there seem to be a gap. I don't think we're speaking to the same language. Mm. It is a little bit better in, in the case of professional qualifications such as uh, law, where, where, where the law society, for instance, could influence what happens in the curriculum at tertiary level and so on. But I think there is a need for a greater conversation between these three sectors as to say, what does the economy need 
And how do we make sure that we tailor our learners and students in that direction? The other thing that worries me uh, quite a lot is, is the high un- unemployment rate of graduates. Mm. We, we, we would accept that with metric, um, they are not generally employable. And the metric certificate does not give them skills to start their own businesses and so on. Does the university qualification you know, offer those skills? And in some cases, the answer is no. And then you find someone with a Bachelor of Science degree having to do a PGCE so that they can be employed as teachers. But initially, that's not what they wanted to do. The problem is the qualifications at university are not uh, suitable for these students to get employment. But Prof, what, what accounts for that misalignment? I mean, one would think that, uh, you know, if you go to any of these universities, you often see the, or hear of the names of corporates that are funding this or the other research chair. And one would assume that uh, there is some two-way dialogue here about what goes into your curriculum, how much experiential or workplace learning or to or needs to happen so that there is this alignment between the qualification and what's happening in the labor market. Um, I don't know. I think I think the, the bottom line is we, we do have some sort of communication, but I would imagine that it has to be a little bit strengthened. I'll tell you why. Mm. Um, if you look at, at the, the the period it takes for the university or school curriculum to change, in my opinion, it's a little bit slower. For instance, the school curriculum uh, caps was introduced in 2011. It's mm. still the same caps today. Yes. At university, you get sort of similar trends that you know a curriculum will last for five years or more. But when you go to the corporate sector, to what extent are they as slow or quick as university changes? Are they, are they for instance, using in the current generation for IR uh, technologies, which are probably not used at, at, at university? And, and therefore, that's where the, the gap comes in, that the conversation is there, but perhaps it's a little bit slow. We don't evolve at the same pace. And that's why I'm saying we need to have regular conversations between these three different sectors as to say, are we all on the same uh, uh, direction? I think, and, and, and I'm sorry to say this, I think in the, in the short term, South Africa will have a big problem of a lot of graduates that are not employable. Mm. That's the first problem. The second problem, we'll have way too many met- uh, young people with metric, but they're not at university. And, and that's going to have a, a serious impact on our economy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Prof, I guess for you sitting in a faculty, uh, which is not only uh, working with some of these graduates that you refer to every day, but is also trying to uh, develop the kind of curricula in the science education system that would be used in the basic education system. Uh, What do you think the different parties can do? What can corporations that are sitting on the other side that always raise their hands complaining that, you know, the pipeline that's coming out of the universities is not suited for the kind of work environment that they have? And more importantly, I guess, many of your own colleagues that work in curriculum development for the basic education system. Which direction should we be pulling towards here? I think the first step is to, we need to ask the question, is the current university uh, model in South Africa and perhaps globally, is it, is it sustainable? If we've got 26 uh, universities and, and 300,000 uh, matriculants every year, is the model working? Where are these 300,000 going to go? Uh, obviously, the universities are not going to be able to absorb all of them. So what do we do about that? In my opinion, uh, the future would be some form of distance education, mm. one way or the other. Mm. But linked to that uh, distance education, uh, uh, take them perhaps out of the university lecture room and put them in a factory or put them in a, in a corporate where there is in-service training, where they are hands-on, 
plus the theory that they're getting at university. So the way I see the future, and, and I think it should be, is that the corporate plus the universities need to partner a little bit better for the training itself. So mm. if, if you say all these students at university must work at companies, they immediately get some experience. They immediately get some income, which is necessary for the economy, but also they get that relevant skills for them to, to, to use uh, post their qualification. So the way I see the future is, one, I don't think the current model of, of, of um, on-campus uh, studying is sustainable in the long term, and I don't think we'll be able to build enough universities for mm. all these students. But I also think we need to start getting these students in the, in the, in the, in the, in the companies and the private sector so yeah. that they get the relevant skills while uh, they're being trained. The kind of workplace learning that you're referring to, I guess, is, is probably what ideally should be happening in the vocational and uh, technical space here in South Africa. And, and certainly makes me wonder how many of the top performers who announced over the last few days or so would pick out some of our TVET colleges as institutions of choice. You're correct. And, and I think it's a, it's a question of, of culture and, and perception. We have, as, as a community, I think, countrywide, we perceive a university as, you know, the top. You, you need to go to university. Mm. We, we don't think, what are you going to do there and what are you going to do beyond that? We just say, go to university. And the other mistake we do make is, is we classify universities. We say, if you go to this one, you are okay. If you go to that one, no, it's not good enough. And, and I think those are the problems. I think what we need to do as a country, we need to start rethinking what we mean by education. Education does not mean schooling. You know, you don't need to be at a school, at university to be educated. You can be at a TVET college and get the relevant education or be at a company and get the qualification. I mean, we know a lot of people, for instance, who may not have a PhD, but they're doing brilliant work with mm. whatever qualification they yes. have. So we need to rethink what do we mean by education and, and stop... Uh, maybe fantasizing that universities are the best places to go. I'm pro-university training, but I think we need to rethink whether that's the only way to go for the future or or there are other alternatives. Mm. And what of community education? I mean, we like to think that, you know, some of the signals or senior certificate is just the preserve of 17 and 18-year-olds. But uh, with the kind of history that we have in this country, there's still a big task of adult and uh, maybe community education as well. You are correct. Um, and, and I was going to say this earlier and, and sort of slipped my mind. I think what, what um, we need to address as a, as a staff, and I think what maybe the basic education is driving at, is just a basic question of literacy. And I think we need to have targets as a country and say, we've got X percentage of literacy in the country. How do we move mm-hmm. that forward and for what purpose? And that's where community uh, training comes in, and say, where we say, what sort of skills do communities need? But this is what I think is also important. We should not assume what people need. We mm. should go and do proper research and find out what these communities need. For instance, a community in Soweto may not necessarily need the same skills as a community in Mamelodi. Yes. And therefore, universities should play a bigger role in saying, let's go and investigate there to determine what skills do those people need and how do we tailor training towards those needs. And I think that is the way to go. Um, but also, uh, I worked at a, at a medical school previously, and mm. what I experienced there was that you can't train a, a medical doctor in, in just in a classroom. They've got to go to a to hospital, hospital yeah. and, 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 and learn there. Mm. In the same way that you can't necessarily need to teach a te- train a teacher in, in the university lecture room, mm. they've got to go to a school and practice. And that's where community 
based education comes sure, in. So sure. I think that's the future. Professor Lindelani Nguni, thank you very much uh, for your time. Really appreciate you coming out this evening to speak to us.